Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. The first time that Leslie and I snuck in at DR, uh, we, we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, we thought we'd come spy on you guys. And um, as soon as we uh, stepped in, we felt like there was a, um, a spirit that was present here that said we want God in this place. We want to seek God and we want to praise God. And from the very first moment, um, I was almost emotional. Uh, you can make fun of me for that and whatever. But um, there's something special here um, in this church, in this family, in this community that uh, of people who go all out in praise. And I'm so glad um, I'm so glad that we get to be here, that we get to be a part of it, that we get to jump into this family. So thank you for that. And um, I don't know if you know um, just how special this place is, but I mean, let me tell you that. And let me, let me, I'm just encouraged um, by it. Um, that's, I didn't plan to say that. It's slightly awkward. But, um, hey, in the, um, anybody know the story of the Count of Monte Cristo? Anybody here? Um, it's got a slight little reference in the Shawshank Redemption, and if you catch it in there, it's really brilliant what Stephen King uh, did when he wrote that, and you can go back there and check it out and spy on it. But The Count of Monte Cristo um, is a classic story, and we get introduced uh, very early to a really, um, a really great and noble young guy um, named Edmund Dantes. He's a, he's a young sailor, he's very good at his job, and he's madly in love with his Mercedes. Not the car, that's her name, okay? Um, the lady's name, and they have, they have an affectionate, uh, wonderful love between the two of them, and he dreams of one day being able to support her and being able to uh, have enough money to, to call her his own and to marry and uh, to have a family together and... Um, there's a scene in the movie where they're just they're lying down and they're dreaming of the future that's coming. So Edmund has a best friend, and his best friend is Fernand Mondego, which sounds like a little bit shady character. Edmund and uh, Mondego work together uh, shipping, and um, Mondego is his his right hand man. They do everything together. They talk about stuff. And Mondego knows Edmund's dreams, and he knows his love for Mercedes. But what we come to find out in the story is that um, he has a jealous, envious love for Mercedes that's happening in the background, and it's welling up. And uh, Mondego, when the moment presents itself, hatches a plan, and uh, kind of the conflict in the story arises when Edmund is... Uh, taken off to a faraway prison. Um, on Mondego's plan, he's taken off to a prison that no one ever, ever, ever escapes from with torturous and solitary confinement. And he's basically dead to life, dead to the world. And Mondego then proceeds to grieve with Mercedes, to be her comfort, and to move in on Edmund's girl. And that is, that's how the conflict of the story gets set up. Have you ever felt the pain of somebody being in a relationship with you, but then discarding you so that they could get what they wanted, or when they got what they wanted? And you come to find out that they're only really using you to get something, 
they're not really interested so much in you or in a relationship with you. They're, they're mostly interested in their own selfish, uh, you could call them evil, desires sometimes. That's what's happening in the Cant of Monte Cristo. Have you ever been the one, if you're honest with yourself, that's been on the other side of that? That you've been somebody's Mondego? That you have, if you're honest, used somebody to get what you wanted? Maybe you didn't think through it like that. Maybe it wasn't as despicable and you didn't hatch a plan so much. But if you come to terms with it, you recognize, oh, I was just in this relationship for me. I was just in this relationship for what I could get out of it. And when my needs were met or when they were no longer being met, I'm gone. And uh, somebody, somebody has to live in the wake of that. Like, here's a really trivial deal. Um, I don't know if you ever deal with this, but once in a while I'll get a friend request on Facebook from like a long lost acquaintance in high school. And what goes through my mind is like, oh, cool, they remember me. And not only do they remember me, they want to be my friend. <laughs> and I click accept because I want more friends. And um, I come to find out they're, they're, new, they're uh, walking in a new business venture and they're looking for all like as many new business potential contacts as they can get. So they just, they want to say, hey, let me pitch you this. And even more, let me look through your friend list so that I can go add everybody else, okay? And, and all of a sudden it goes like, oh, you don't really want to be my friend. You're just a big jerk. And I'm going to unfriend you now because I just got used. You ever felt that? James talks about that in this uh, passage today. He talks about the way that we approach people and what we call wise when we're dealing with people. Um, so we're in this series through the book of James that we're calling Faith Does. Now, a lot of people throughout, uh, throughout the years have really wrestled with James and said, I don't know if James belongs in the Bible because it, so- it starts to sound so legalistic. James talks about do this and do this and have this in your life and don't do this and it starts to sound moralistic. But when you really get into the heart of James, you recognize he's, he's delivering the same message that Jesus did. He's delivering the same message that Paul did in other books of the New Testament. He's just delivering it to a different audience and he's doing it with a different personality. And James is not forgetting that uh, we do this from the inside out, that faith comes first but then our faith does something. And so as we work through James, we want to remember this is not just a checklist of things to do or to don't do. This is something that we need to wrestle with to say, if I don't, if I don't have a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ, I need to sort that out first. I don't need to just start doing Christian things because then what happens is you could start to even fool yourself and think you're good when really you're not. And you start to, Jesus used this metaphor of like a whitewashed tomb. Like you're still dead inside, even though you look pretty on the outside. There's still death inside. We need to deal with the death inside. And Jesus wants to bring us to life. Once he's brought us to life, then we don't sit stagnant. We start to live out of that life. And we start to look different. And Jesus transforms us. And that's what the book of James and faith does is all about. So let's pray. And then we're going to jump right into the second part of chapter 3 in James. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to worship you, uh, to praise you, and to, uh, to pour ourselves out to you.
I'm so grateful to be a part of this church. We love you and we want to hear from you. We want to be students of your word, to hear directly from you in a way that, um, in a way that makes us uncomfortable, in a way that makes us wrestle with who we are and what you say, in a way that uh, opens us up to the changes that you would have in our life. Make us humble. Um, help us to be vulnerable before you uh, as we unpack your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this is James 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not, be, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is right back on a subject that he keeps repeating. He asked the question, who is wise in understanding among you? And then he says, let him show it. This is not for a, a circle of philosophers uh, to sit around and pontificate the intricacies and the meaning of life. This is, James says, show me, show me. Uh, it's like, show me the money, like make it real for me. Okay. I want to see if you think you're wise, it better match up with the way you're living. Otherwise, James is like, that's just emptiness. That's empty words or worse. And so James in this, he says, put your, put your money where your mouth is. Put your life where your mouth is. Put the way that you live where your mouth is. If you claim to be a Christ follower, I want to see it in your life. And he talks about two different kinds of wisdom here in this section. He, first, he talks about a worldly wisdom. He talks about a natural wisdom. And he, he uses this slide progression where he says, this is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And earthly could be like, this is just natural. This is of the dirt. This is just everywhere. This is a common type of wisdom. But then it slides into, this. Uh, it's not quite as good, unspiritual. So it's like empty of things spiritual, empty of things of God. And he goes one step further and he says, not only is this natural, not only is this earthly, not only is this unspiritual, it, it's demonic. I want you to see the power in this because if it's not from God, it's from somewhere else. And if it's not from God, the reality is you have an enemy pulling on you that wants to pull you into this, this kind of wisdom a lot of people have talked about this section and they'll start to talk about foolishness and the foolish person. The only problem that I have in going right to foolishness and talking about wisdom versus foolishness is James presents this as two kinds of wisdom, two approaches to wisdom. And so while it may be tested and seen truly as foolishness, there is an appearance of wisdom at first that we can't just dismiss. James calls it wisdom, but he calls it a natural wisdom. Uh, so he talks about 
this natural one, and then he talks about one from above. So in this natural wisdom, he says, where there's this natural wisdom in place, you're going to find disorder. You're going to find every vile practice. And um, with the thread that James has been preaching on, I think what he's getting at with disorder is this is relational disorder. When you follow a worldly wisdom, relationships get all yucked up in the process. Uh, A worldly wisdom, the reason that is, is a worldly wisdom is focused on me. A worldly wisdom says, what can I do to get to the top? And so here's the ladder. What can I do to climb the ladder? What can I do, uh, even if it means crawling over people on rungs of the ladder, what can I do to climb? And if you ask people in business, you know, how do I get to the top? They'll have some wisdom for you, but some of it really might counteract the kind of wisdom that James says is from above, the kind of wisdom that comes from God or the kind of wisdom that Jesus lines up with. James says this earthly wisdom is uh, filled with disorder and every vile practice because I'm just looking at me and what I can get out of it. True wisdom, this other kind of wisdom that he starts to talk about, a wisdom from above, he says that's, that's got several other markers too, seven of them actually here. And the end result in true wisdom is peace. So a very quick litmus test. Am I following Uh, an earthly, natural, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, or am I following a wisdom from above, is you could start to look at the wake behind me. You could start to see the people that I interact with, and are, are they left more broken because of my exchange with them, or are they left more whole because of how I interact with them? How, how are people in your life, when you pass by them, do they, are they kind of like um, a swimmer in the lake when a motorboat goes by, I'm like, oh, God, watch out. I got to get away from that. If you've ever been canoeing on a big lake and a big boat goes by, you're like, oh, come on, and get ready to get pushed over, right? Or are you a different kind where people are like, I, I want to get in on that. I, I'd rather, I'd, I'd like to be like a, a water skier behind the boat so I can enjoy the wake, so that I could have fun with it, so that I could experience more and get a thrill out of, uh, out of my experience with this person. There are teachers in James' day who were teaching this kind of worldly wisdom, and I think he's speaking directly against them. And then I think he's speaking also then to a number of people who are accepting it, who are saying, man, that sounds good to me. That sounds like common sense, and it is common sense. It's a natural sense, and James says, I want you to think different from that. You want a perfect illustration, I think, of uh, this natural wisdom. Um, I don't know how many of you guys are into Survivor or The Bachelor, um, but if you watch those shows for any amount of time, you'll see people who form alliances, form friendships, and then trample them so that they can get to the finish line. It's like, girl, I thought we were tight. No, I just want him. Okay? I watched one season finale of a Survivor where everybody was mad because this guy had really messed over the alliance that he had had the whole time. And then they congratulated him on it, like, man, that was a good play. That was good. That, you're going to win this because you did that to him. It's worldly wisdom. 
it makes sense. If you want to get ahead, it means people are going to have to come under you. If you want to get to the top, you will have to push people down at some point. You will have to sneak in and steal opportunities where they had them. And you will thrive. You will succeed. You will have all kinds of success. The only problem with that is James would say, look, he who dies with the most toys still dies. It's still empty. And if all you do is go after a worldly, natural, unspiritual wisdom, you might have a fun ride, but it's empty. And at the end of your life, you'll have nothing to show for it. He says, so I want you to look at a different kind of wisdom. Wisdom, true wisdom, or wisdom from above is different. He says it's marked by seven characteristics in verse 13. He says, the wisdom from above is pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And this, this is almost like a mirror of what Paul does in Galatians with the fruit of the Spirit. He says, if you're living in the Spirit, these fruits are going to naturally come. This is what's going to come in your life as you follow Jesus. And Paul has his own list. James says, these seven attributes result in true peace, not a shallow peace. It's not just getting away with discomfort. It's not getting away with conflict. It's a true peace that has fought through conflict and has resolved conflict, and the relationships are stronger because of it. I don't know, if you're married, you will fight this. Uh, husbands, I think more generally, tend to be like, I just, want, I just want peace in the home, meaning, can we just not fight? And then we don't do anything to really deal with it. We're just good if it's not peace. More often than not, women are like, no, I want to be connected. And if there's conflict, I don't want to pretend like it's not there. I want to talk about it because I, I don't want just the absence of conflict. I want closeness. And James is getting at this is true peace. James is getting at the kind of peace that has fought through conflict and has found resolution. This is the kind of peace that Jesus fought for when he said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring the sword. And yet he's called the Prince of Peace. Okay, so there's these conflicting ideas and what he's getting at is, I didn't come to do away with conflict. I came to take the conflict head on. You're dead inside. I'm going to die so that you can have life. And he faced right into the conflict so that we could have a real peace. And James says, true believers radiate these principles. True believers radiate these actions. So he talks about being pure. And this is the idea of not being double-minded, of being one substance. And the substance that James would say is, does your character emulate the character of God? Do you look like God? Are you pure? Are you one? Uh, instead of being just kind of a compound of all these different things, are you pure? He says, peaceable. This is peace-loving which means um, this is not a divisive person. This is not a person who loves to come and drive a wedge in between uh, people or in relationships or in a church. So if you, if you find somebody in a church or if you find somebody in a relationship that is always starting fires, that really um, the result is that they, they split people up, you want to test that. Because sometimes a, 
a truthful word can be harsh, but it's done in the kind of spirit that says, I know this is for my best. I know that you care about me and you're going to speak truth to me. Sometimes true words um, not given in the right spirit just split people apart and they just tear people open. So uh, the truth doesn't give you an opportunity or permission to just be a jerk. He says uh, people who follow Jesus are peaceable. He says gentle. And what he's getting at is, um, especially if you're in a place of power, that you still treat people with gentleness, that you don't use your, pe- your power to beat people with it, that you don't use your power to get stuff from people so that you can uh, get higher and higher and higher up the ladder. You're gentle with people. You're considerate of other people. You, you actually think about what's good for them. He talks about being open to reason. The NIV says the submissive. And what, what I love about how the ESV says open to reason, the NIV says submissive, is it kind of gets at a fuller picture of saying, this is a person who's teachable. This is a person who says, I don't have all the answers. And if you show me the truth, then I will change my mind. If I want to wrestle with it and I want to ask questions, but I want to learn. So James says people who follow Jesus need to be continual students. People who follow Jesus need to be lifelong learners. And they need to be open to reason. And then he says, full of mercy and good fruit. And James gets back on this faith does, uh, faith in action kind of rant. And he says, people who follow Jesus radiate an active care for people. We give people mercy. We give people forgiveness. We help people in their time of need. And it shows up as real, tangible fruit in our lives. He says people radiate impartiality. That they're not impartial. We don't show favoritism. We're not looking at people and saying, because of your status, I'm going to treat you differently. Because of where you're coming from, I'm going to treat you differently. We're going to, we're going to treat people the way Jesus would have us treat them. That doesn't mean we just all... It doesn't mean we always treat people, everybody, the same way, right? Some people, um, I, I learned this with one of my mentors, that his style of learning and grappling was arguing. And I always, for a long time, I would walk out of a room, and he just argued with me, and he would put my view down, and I'd walk out going, what a jerk. And I started to realize, he's trying to engage me. He's trying to engage me. And so I became a jerk. <laughs> Not really, because, but that's what the relationship required. He wants to grapple and he wants to deal toe-to-toe, face-to-face. And so he'd say something and say, I think you're wrong. I just think you're wrong and here's what I think and we're going we're gonna to have it out. I'm not going to be like that with everybody because some people are like, man, you're a jerk. Why are you doing that? But when you understand the relationship, impartiality means I'm not going to treat you differently because of your status. I'm not going to treat you differently because of some external thing that's going on. I'm not going to judge you before I know you. Okay? I'm going to be gentle with you. I'm going to be considerate toward you. I'm impartial. And then James uses this word sincere, which I love. I love this word. John Ortberg uh, turned me on to this word one time when he says, um, in one of its original forms, sincere, if you break it up, is sin which means without, and sire, which is wax. So to be sincere is to be without wax, meaning 
oftentimes in, uh, in old days, they would you know, sell clay pots. And if one was damaged, they would take some wax and melt it and just kind of uh, work it into the cracks so that the pot looked pristine. It looked awesome and whole and beautiful. But when you got it home and you put it down a little, like, what, what just happened? You didn't have a sincere pot. You had a pot that was full of wax. And James says, Christians are to be people without wax. Christians are to be people that don't, that don't cover over the blemishes. Christians are to be people who are not hypocrites or actors. They're to be real and vulnerable. And if you have blemishes, you, you're vulnerable. I so appreciated what Tony did last week. Um, when he just said, look, this is me and I'm wrestling with this stuff, and I can't stand up here and say, I've got it all put together. Now follow me. He's saying, let's, let's do this together. That was sincere. That was without wax. It's not covering over stuff. James says, these are the kind of characteristics that are found in somebody who's really following a wisdom from above. So the difference between a selfish ambition and uh, a worldly wisdom, this selfish ambition says, what can I get? And James says, the, the wisdom from above is about meekness. Not weakness. Meekness is power under control. So not just power at all costs and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slam you. It's power under control. Rather than being jealous, wisdom from above is gentle. Not looking to take advantage of someone. Rather than disorder, and all kinds of relational yuck. Worldly wisdom results in peace. Not a cheap peace, but a peace that has fought through the tension and, and leads to wholeness. We shouldn't be conflict avoiders. We should say, how, how will this person benefit? How will we grow together? When it comes down to it, I think, I think it's a difference between the latter and the cross. You get two very distinct pictures of what it looks like to have wisdom. The worldly wisdom is all about the ladder. And it's all about climbing up the ladder and getting success. And Jesus talks about a different kind of wisdom. Jesus talks about the wisdom of the cross. And he said the wisdom of the cross looks foolishness. Looks like foolishness to a lot of people. Because it's not worldly wisdom. It's not about status. It's about service. So in Luke 9, Jesus goes head on attacking worldly wisdom. And he says this, can we, uh, can we grab Luke 9? Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now, Peter's answer is loaded. We want to cheer for him. And Jesus cheers for him in some way, but then he says, be quiet. Don't, don't tell. Because Peter's answer, even though it's right, is wrong. Peter is expecting Jesus when he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one that we've been waiting for. He thinks Jesus is going to show up with, with Peter's idea of power. And that means the Roman Empire was brutal. And Jewish people were living under oppression. And the Messiah was thought by a lot of people to be the guy who was going to come and dispel the Roman Empire. Raise up the Jewish people with a, a government that would be powerful. 
And so when Peter says, you're the Christ, he's saying, you've got a power and I want to follow it. And he's talking about an earthly military power. And that's why Jesus says, I don't want to start an uprising. Not the one you're talking about. So in verse 21, he says, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is not the Christ that they expected. They expected the Christ to come in power. And Jesus says, no, 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 power's coming, but I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, power. And on the third day, that's when the power comes. Different than you're expecting. But suffering is in the way of that. In verse 23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me. James says, If you follow Jesus, your faith does something. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And he's talking again about power. You will see the kingdom show up in power on the third day. You will see power happen, but the cross stands between that. Where we are now and where we're going, there's a big cross. And Jesus says, if you want to work your whole life and work your way up the ladder, that's great for you. You gain the whole world. What good is it if you lose your soul in the process? says, if you really want to follow me, you pick up your cross. Now, this is foolishness. This is foolishness. You don't go and ask a business mentor, what should I do? What should I do to grow my business? He's not going to tell you, like, sacrifice everything for people. Right? He's going to give you a plan that uh, puts you in a position that postures yourself so that you can grow. And there's some wisdom in that. We just have to recognize it's a worldly wisdom. It's a natural wisdom. The way that Jesus calls us to position our life is one that takes up our cross, one that sacrifices ourselves for others in the exact same way that he did. When I look at my life according to the latter, I look at people and I say, what can I get from them? In college, I did this where I would show up two hours late to a study session and said, just give me the summary and I'll catch on really quick, and then I'll leave, and you guys will study for two hours before and probably for two hours after, and I'll sneak in for the hour in the middle. I'll get what I need, and I'll go. Now, you could call that a good, uh, good study technique, and maybe that's all I needed, but I wasn't thinking about them, was I? I was thinking about what I got, what I needed out of it, what I could get. And so I'm going to walk up the ladder, and when I'm done, I'm just going to get off. <laughs> I got what I needed. I'm going away. It looks at people and says, what can I get? How can I use people? It looks at, in business, how can I network with people? Not because I have something to give them, but because they have something to give me. I have something I can get from them. I add them on Facebook 
so that I can get new business. And I'm not bitter about that. But it happens all the time. We look at people and we say, how can I get rather than how I can give? And that's the difference between the latter and the cross. We use people to gain status, to gain popularity, and we'll do whatever it takes to climb higher and higher and higher. Wisdom from above, Jesus says, empties yourself for others. Well, the world's wisdom is all about climbing. Wisdom from, about, from above is living the way of the cross. It's foolishness because it's, um, if you orient yourself around your well-being and your success and your comfort, then following Jesus' example makes no sense. It really is foolishness. Except that worldly wisdom, again, leads to death. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Because worldly wisdom is all about me. Inevitably, it will bring death to relationships. If you've ever been in a relationship with someone who's all about them, it doesn't last, does it? If you've ever been in a relationship where it was all about you, it hasn't gone so well, has it? Relationships are about blessing the other person. That's what healthy relationships have been like or should be like. It doesn't stop there, though. Worldly wisdom will eventually leave me empty and dead because, again, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And if I've been chasing the whole, uh, the whole wrong thing my life, my whole life, I'm just losing in the end. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And here's the deal. Until you find the power in the cross, it's going to look like foolishness to you. Until you find the power that Jesus brought through the cross, this whole Christianity thing is going to look like utter foolishness. But when you start to see, Jesus didn't come to get something from me. Jesus didn't come to lord over me. He came to give himself for me. He saw me in my brokenness. He saw me in my emptiness. He saw me in my death. And he gave himself for me. He emptied himself and he served and he died so that I could have life. And until, un, until those dots move, connecting those from your head to your heart, this whole Jesus thing will look like absolute foolishness. But when those dots connect, you'll start to say, there is a power here that I have never known. There is a wisdom here that looks like foolishness, but the power is right there. Amen. The Bible says, cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus wasn't a victim. Jesus climbed up. Jesus saw the tree and said, that's where I'm going. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to carry it. I'm going to get on it. I'm going to die. So he became cursed to take away our curse. He died so that we could have life. It's, it's time to change the way we think. We start to move from thinking about life on the ladder and change and start thinking about life at the foot of the cross. Life carrying my own cross where I stop thinking about people and what I can get from them and I start thinking about how I can give what Jesus gave me and how I can give out of that. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, uh, 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord 
trust in the Lord with all your heart. It says, everything I am, I want to trust in you, not just in a, in a head trust, but in a way that works out in my life. It says, lean not on your own understanding. And James would say, this is what I'm talking about. Don't just think about it and say, this would be common sense. This is what I should do. Uh, Proverbs says, don't lean on your own understanding. The natural way of doing things isn't going to lead you in the right way. But in all your ways or in all your decisions or in all your days, in the very way that you live, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Like put him front and center. Not just like, hey, yeah, Jesus, you're here. I see you. But like give him priority in the way you think, in the way you decide, in the way you act, in the way you treat people. In all your ways, Put Jesus front and center and he will make your paths straight. That doesn't mean he will make your paths easy. If you've ever been climbing up a mountain, one of the, uh, you need to pay very close attention to walking on the trail. Uh, I have loved going out to Colorado and hiking up in the Rockies, but it, they're named Rockies for a reason. Like they're rocky, <laughs> right? And if you don't follow the trail... You get hurt. I've seen people who have fallen on the way down and dislocated the shoulder, and then we drove all the way back to uh, Wisconsin with a shoulder dislocated because we didn't know. And then we're like, oh, uh, maybe we should have had that checked out. But you walk the trail, and if you're on the trail, you have a much higher success rate of staying healthy, of having life. When I was living out in Colorado, uh, we tried to summit Long's Peak, which is a 14er and one of the trickier ones. We got up to the keyhole and they said it was closed past the keyhole that day because a snowstorm was blowing in. And the reason they close it is because the trail from the keyhole to the actual summit is just a narrow path. And on a windy, uh, snow-blowing day, that's treacherous. You can't go any farther. You walk the path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will show you the path to take. He'll show you. It'll be there for you. James says, stop climbing the ladder. Pick up your cross. Stop listening to the worldly way of wisdom. That sounds really good, but is empty in the end. Ask God to tune your heart to him to receive his wisdom and his grace. You spend yourself for the kingdom, for the benefit of others. You seek the kind of purity where your character resembles God. You strive toward peace and unity with others. You're gentle, especially if you have power and influence. You don't manipulate other people to get what you want. You're teachable. Like you recognize, I don't want to walk around like a know-it-all. I want to keep learning. You spend yourself. You don't show favoritism based on status. You're sincere without wax, the real deal, not hypocrites, not double-minded, as James would say. And then you stand confident that the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and you can stand confident before God on your final day because of what he did. Right? He continues to seek your best good. There's a quote here, and we'll finish with this. Often attributed to Mother Teresa, um, people question whether she really wrote it or just kind of piggybacked off somebody else. To people are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. 
If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity in happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have. It will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. We want to get down off the ladder. We want to pick up our cross. Let's pray. Jesus, we don't get it right. Time and time and time again, we're lured back to the ladder and, and it feels good. And we, if we're honest, we think about ourselves so often. We think about how we can gain and how we can grow and how we can get instead of how we can give. And you came to reverse that trend. You came to give yourself, to spend yourself, to die so that you could give us life. Would you transform us into the kind of people who are willing to, to stop trampling over people on the ladder of life, who are willing to receive from you and then give to others? Would you make us that kind of people? Father, as we turn our hearts toward communion and to worship, help us to remember what you did and the life that you offer. And help us to engage again right now to not let our minds wander, but to worship you, to respond to who you are and how you're active in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.